governor's race brings lesser of two evils voting to a whole new level. The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Normally, Saturdays from 3 to 6, and yes, I'm on today 3 to 6, but it's the only time during football season that I am on my regular time. So we have a lot to pack in. This is an important election season, very important. Uh, It's the most challenging that I can think of because I don't like to vote lesser of two evils, uh, and both of these candidates turn me off big time. But there is a third way, the libertarian way. I'm not a knee-jerk libertarian voter. I did not vote for uh, Gary Johnson and William Weld in the presidential election because they're not real libertarians. But I have the real libertarian candidate for Georgia governor on this show so you can hear from himself what he's all about and why he thinks that a vote for him is a good vote. That's going to be at 5 o'clock this afternoon, and at 5.30, we are going to have our favorite election integrity activist, my favorite political activist, bar none, Garland Favorito, is going to be here at 5.30. Tell us the best way to vote, to make your vote count, uh, things we should look for on the ballot, and uh, other issues that only he can address with the kind of um, expertise that we've come to know. So those are what's going on at 5, but in the 5 o'clock hour. But until then, Binkley and I, my producer Binkley here, have so much to unpack for you. Binkley, you have been working hard, have you not? I've been trying to. (laughs) Well, you actually have certainly been putting the hours in, and I'll tell you how I know and how my entire family knows, because if I ever forget to turn off my phone, it'll completely blows up like four o'clock in the morning and I'll hear my young son like in his tiny voice like down the hall it's not tiny anymore but say uh Binkley go to bed (laughs) because he knows yes he knows it's you you can hear those text messages throughout your entire house because I leave my doors open my son my older son has down syndrome and I have to absolutely keep all the doors wide open so we can all hear in case he escapes well, now I know. So I try to uh, remember to turn it off, but sometimes I forget, and I'll just like the phone. And also, I'll lend my phone to the kids, but whatever. They have those crappy phones that break all the time. So they all know that in the wee hours, Binkley will text like <laughs> a thousand times. <laughs> but lately, it's all been like, oh, my gosh, and then I found this, and then I found that. So uh, I w- we have, I would say, some explosive stuff from the um, Abrams backstory that absolutely nobody has found, because it's not like you stumbled upon recent articles. You were digging deep and found stuff that nobody else has found, correct? Yes, I haven't seen this stuff brought up anywhere else. Yeah, and lest uh, people think that we're just exposing Abrams, we have done numerous shows on both Abrams and Kemp, and if people had listened to us... The, the race right now would probably be Cagle beating the pants off of Abrams, but that's not how it came down. And But I would like people to be able to go back and listen. We are not going to have the time to rehash the really important highlights that we came up with in the past. So can you tell people how to go back and listen to those shows? There are, I think, a couple on Kemp and a couple on Abrams. 
They can go to the Propaganda Report um, podcast on iTunes, and I will link the episodes on Twitter here in a moment. Okay, so your uh, his handle is at Freedom Act Radio, and after the show, I'll retweet whatever he tweets about that um, at Monica Perez Show. So, uh, so we have a lot of that, and and I would also say I really get a lot of heat for defending people's right to vote, like, and I mean that most sincerely, or not to vote, or to vote third party or to vote right in i i believe that certainly from a, a symbolic level voting is a profound demonstration or at least assertion of the right to self-government to govern yourself and and we have probably put in more work to educate the voter and educate their conscience and if people actually took what we said and reflected we'd probably get a good we'd probably be in a better position right now with uh with this election but i do get a lot of flack for that um and i don't know what's your what's your your take on that binkley i mean what you played something for me a while ago that where um some activists uh were saying we should have a collective vote. That's Linda Sarsour. Okay. And I believe in the same clip, she was telling people that they should all vote how she tells them to. They should vote for the incarcerated and the undocumented. Yes. Right? So when you start with the lesser of two evils or the collective vote or vote how your leaders tell you to vote blindly, that's what you get. You actually get uh, just pure power. Just she, pure power. Yeah, she actually said that people need to step in line and do as they're told and yeah, vote so that, Democrat. So that – I mean that just negates the whole concept of democracy. And as an anarcho-capitalist, I'm not, I'm not actually a card-carrying member of the Libertarian Party. Uh, I, they're just not really libertarian enough for me. I'm an anarcho-capitalist. I believe this concept of self-limiting government – is a utopian fantasy. You know, I don't think that you can limit, but I have decided to dedicate my life to defending the Bill of Rights because those are real. We Those are our rights, whether they're written down on a piece of paper or not. It's helpful to have them written down on a piece of paper. And, and if the system has democracy as a method to appoint the people who are supposed to oversee those rights and preserve those rights on our behalf... That would be great. It seems to me that what it actually does is the opposite. You elect people who subvert your rights, who take your place and don't have your interests at heart. That is why I'm not a fan of this lesser of two evils thing, because over time uh, it has gotten us worse and worse to the point where it's just evil versus evil. and, and And the argument is the other guy's worse. But I do I do feel like. When you start getting to the point, I heard another Democrat say to me that it was outrageous that the Republican leadership didn't uh, better control the voters and the rank and file. And I said, well, that you're obviously expressing, uh, you know, that you don't really believe in democracy. He said at this point, yeah. (laughs) And I was like, okay, because it's not going your way. But it was all fun and games when... When it was ushering in the welfare state. 
So what's your I, – I, I, I think it's really a choice not to vote just like it's a choice to vote. People are often pressured saying it's their civic duty to vote and you, you must get out and vote. You must get out and vote. You must get out and vote. And that's fine. But it's also a choice not to, and it doesn't mean that you don't have a voice because you choose not to. That's one of the – your biggest propaganda lines since the beginning of time is you must vote for the choices that we chose for you. Yeah, and and think of it this way: forty. I think did I read forty percent of the people of eligible voters don't vote. What if ninety percent of eligible voters didn't vote? Wouldn't wouldn't that be a vote? <laughs> yeah, sort of. You know, I mean, that would say we do not accept this false choice that you're giving us and it would happen overnight you think it would it, it would take forever Th- this is the thing about the lesser of two evils voting is that it's the way they boil the frog it's the <laughs> way you know that they get you to just incrementally lose everything and i and i think of an example of that is ronald reagan who i was always a fan of i cried when he was shot um i was little but he uh Nixon, a Republican, closed the gold window in 1972, I believe, because that's when Ron Paul decided to enter the arena, hang up his scrubs and um, and head to Washington. And within one decade, less than a decade, the economy was in uh, a tailspin. The interest rates, the currency was all a mess, predictably. And Reagan was elected in a landslide. And instead of of saying, look, Obviously, we can draw a straight line from the 1972 dot to the dot of total, you know, of near collapse because he closed because Nixon closed the gold window. We need to reestablish real money. But instead, he and Paul Volcker, Volcker, I think, took the lead on it, uh, fixed it. They they instituted some harsh policies that uh, that preserved fiat money. And I would I would ask, was that better? Is it better? And then you have the 2008 crisis and $20 trillion of debt right now. I mean, economic stuff gets nuanced, but um, but just as an analogy, is it better to allow uh, to to take the lesser, you know, to take a little to take a little win at knowing that in the long run, all is lost. So I, I think that's food for thought. But I, I will not take any guff <laughs> for my opinion, which I normally do, because you mostly, but on this show, have delivered so much important information about the true nature of these candidates that uh, that I, I think that the voters who do decide to vote, even the lesser of two evils, will have really learned a lot from what we've put out there. And uh, and the stuff that you have today is no exception. We really absolutely have to dig into it. Uh, I am open to calls, though. And if people want to tweet questions for Ted Metz, who's going to be on later, or um, we can accumulate those. You can tweet at us at Monica Perez Show or at Freedom Act Radio. And uh, and we'll also get to some calls, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. And Binkley, let's queue up some of that fantastic uh, smoking gun audio you got um, that will help illuminate this governor's race. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Evil does seek to maintain power by suppressing the truth. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. This is Monica Perez. We are back. And um, we are 
We're going to talk about the governor's election, of course. What else? Um, we got some tweets at Monica Perez Show. You can tweet at us for um, anything you want to ask Ted Metz or Garland Favrito. They're going to be my guests in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, Binkley, what do you got tweet-wise? Dean tweets. Would this one want to go go with first? We got a couple here. Oh, I, we had a few that we saw. Um, let's do Rock. Okay, Rock. I like Dean's. Hang on to it, but do Rock's. First. Okay, Rock tweets. Unless there's a candidate whom I agree on every issue, in order to vote, I have to make some compromises. For example, I agree with Ted Metz on all but abortion, which I believe is murder and therefore should be illegal. My vote for him would be choosing the lesser of two evils. Okay, so uh, I love that tweet. I love things that make me think. And uh, here's my thought on that. Is, is just disagreeing with someone doesn't make them evil. And abortion is a great um, example for that because uh, murder is evil. And if you believe abortion is murder, then the person who doesn't agree with you on it has to be evil. But uh, especially with abortion in the libertarian context, I, I live life. My son has Down syndrome. I never got an amnio for him or any of my kids. I would not make that choice for sure. But um, libertarians can disagree on a couple of um, what are called competing rights issues. So immigration, for example, in this society, which has limited uh um, and diminished private property rights, immigration at the national level has an impact on your ability to control your own private property. So libertarians can don't have to be open borders. And like with abortion, where you draw the line between moral law and civil law could be religious. It could be that you believe um, conception imparts a soul, and that's why that's the dividing line. And you could believe you could draw a different line on where you use force. So how would you force a woman to incubate a child if she'd rather starve herself to death? You'd have to use force. So is it a moral issue? Is it a civil issue? So I'm not saying how to come out on those issues. I'm just saying to come out on different sides of those issues doesn't necessarily mean you're evil. But if you engage in deception and fraud um, and corruption and subversion and exploitation of different groups for political purposes, deceptively for your own ends. That is what I mean by evil. If they're both bad choices uh, because they're corrupt and fraudulent, that's you're playing a game. You're trying to game evil versus evil. And I'm not sure we have the wisdom for that. I actually think of the Our Father, which is my favorite prayer, that uh, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Maybe a little faith, but I'm not, don't, don't ask me to go religious. I'm not good at it, but I do try to use it as a touchstone. And, uh, and, I, and I think that it's so interesting, such food for thought. Let's get to Dean's tweet next. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Everything you do is being watched by some all-seeing eye. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Terrian voice on WSB. Saturdays from 3 to 6 when uh, when I don't make way for UGA Sports. And it's a good thing I'm on today because we have some stuff. I've got Binkley just digging deep on the uh, governor's race 
Pinkley, my producer here. How you doing, Pinkley? I'm great. How are you? I'm great, too. Feeling good. Feeling good, Mortimer. Um, what We had a tweet. I wanted to hear Dean's tweet. Give me. Yes, we have a tweet from Dean who tweets, You would think leaders of either party telling supporters to fall in line and be good lemmings would give them food for thought, but it doesn't. Yeah, I was – people should listen to – our podcast that we do, which you can get on iTunes, it's called Propaganda Report. We can get into more of the uh, the longer clips and excerpts of of when these guys on the left hold training sessions to get people out, how to um, basically manipulate people into voting without asking questions. And there was one, my favorite clip, I, maybe you can find the episode and tweet it later on, was I think you said it was Linda Sarsour, who's a... Um, radical activist, I think, is a fair way of portraying her. I don't that's know. That's a fair. That's a fair assessment. So she says, "Get the vote out." They, they, and they, they're all snapping their fingers in the background, saying, "Collective vote, collective vote," which is not a vote. You know, that's not what the vote is. And then, furthermore, she says, "Vote for the incarcerated, vote for the undocumented, etc." So she's saying to vote <laughs> for non-citizens, people who don't even have the right to vote or hold office, for people who are in jail, presumably not everybody is in jail uh, unfairly, you know? I would say the majority of people in jail are criminals. So, um... She's an architect of chaos. She led a lot of those protests at the Kavanaugh hearings. Oh, really? And she's a fan, ironically, of uh, Louis Farrakhan, right? Yes, who believes that Bill... (laughs) Bill Cosby doesn't need <laughs> drugs to sleep with women. He made that very clear. Uh, yeah, that was the most uncom- basically my most one of my most uncomfortable moments on the air was last show when we um, played that uh, line from Louis Farrakhan, which Bill Cosby retweeted in Bill Cosby's defense, and I was pretty shocked to um, when you drew the connection that Linda Sarsour loves this guy. Yes. I don't get it. Anyway, that's where ideology fails, and it's just blind power, and uh, you need what Dean was saying, lemmings, people who just follow blindly. So uh, now, speaking of radical uh, power mongers, what you found on Stacey Abrams' backstory was pretty shocking to me. And we've gone through some of her backstory stuff, stuff that she lays out as the foundation for her uh, motives and her goals and her worldview and all that, which has been disputed by people who would know. We've covered this all in past shows. Doesn't even ring true. Uh, the narrative doesn't make sense. Her claims of poverty. She has her parents have graduate degrees. Her sisters are are in really powerful and respected positions. She, Three Yale graduates from among the children in that yeah, family. So, so just from my own personal experience, I'm the youngest of nine. My father was a truck driver. My mother was a waitress. She, um, she graduated to being a uh, practical nurse. And they, they were finding their way. Their parents were immigrants, and they were finding their way. And then when I and, – and – all of this was in the context of extreme morality, my being raised, where my father encouraged me to drop out of high school because uh, public school was a hotbed of socialist indoctrination. 
And I did it. I did drop out of high school. And then my mother freaked out. So I ended up in community college and I transferred to Harvard, which alarmed my father. <laughs> you know? So talk about socialist indoctrination. And and but while there, so I was a junior at Harvard for the first time at Harvard. I got a scholarship, but not for food or anything. So I was starving just for tuition. I was starving. I had no idea how to make a resume, do an interview. I did. I would sit around listening to people talk about how their parents were swapping jobs for each other. So their, the one dad had an internship. He'd give it to the other guy's kid, and the other guy's dad would give it to their kid. This was not my world, and it was difficult. Plus, I was outspoken, bold. I was always talking about right and wrong, and you can't do that. And and I still barely, obviously, have not really learned my lesson because I'll go, my kids now go to – so that I think the hierarchy is when you start going to a good high school, that's when you've really got a leg up. And so my kids now are going to fancy schools. And, of course, I'm at, like, you know, meet the other parents' day – saying what I think. And they're just like, okay, this is, I'm not making any, I'm not making it easier for my kids. But my point is just that it's, uh, her, Stacey and her sisters have risen to the highest echelons of power, not digging their way out of poverty. So my experience, I wasn't from a broken home and I wasn't from poverty. I was just from a, 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 place of ethics and a place not of social climbing and all that think about the people who really are coming out of poverty the kids who really are when they're eight years old put on the corners with vials of crack i don't know if that's still a thing i don't know what the latest is now but you know there there's real um you're gone you have a record by the time you're 13 like how could how can you claw your way out of that and then on top of that the the culture uh, is to is to uh, have contempt for the system, kind of like what my father said to me. I don't want you in school because they have a socialist indoctrination. This is where I think people like everyone from Malcolm X, Tupac, Bill Cosby, and now Kanye are getting demonized or killed or whatever because they they uh, point out the problems with the system and. They're radical, whatever, that they, they really could cause trouble. But uh, I feel they call attention to these really systemic structural barriers to equality and achievement that I have – I don't even have a taste of that kind of, of, of a prejudice thing or an inner city thing. Just simply I have a taste of what it's like to try to master the system – from a position of complete ignorance and powerlessness and no money, right? So I'm not, it's not like I have the cards stacked against me. I just have no cards. And that was very difficult. And I did not make the most of it. I, I mean, you might think this is awesome, but I really, you know, if I had to support a family, I'm not sure I would have uh, knocked the cover off the ball in the long run. Um, you know, I did fine, but it was an uphill battle. And I, I feel like, it's like an impossible. So I, I've lost siblings to drug abuse who never even got as far as I got. Uh, and I can see how that's an absolute complete deal breaker. And that's why this Stacey's backstory doesn't really ring true. And in some of the stuff you brought me where she likens being in Spelman College with being across the street in the projects, there's no there's no difference now. Um, right. And that's important yeah. for her campaign because she's running on 
that she represents those communities. Yeah, but there's a profound difference. And her past and her future belie that she is not of that world. But she exploits it. And this is what you brought to me. This is a part of her backstory that nobody has talked about that I uh, that I find absolutely fascinating. How do you want to introduce it? Let me uh, – something you said right there. From in, – in Abrams' book, Minority Leader, she says, My new classmates were the daughters of politicians and famous lawyers and corporate leaders. One of my closest friends mentioned in passing that she had the U.S. Surgeon General's home phone number. And then she's turning around and saying that there's no difference in – a college student, this is an elite school, and people across the street living in poverty. Yeah, but when she said that, what she was sa- what she was talking about, if I'm not mistaken, was this was happening in the context of her uh, leading students during what she called protests during Rodney King, but they were physically in the same place as the, the riots, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the problem. Like, if you, you're a little too young to remember this, Binkley, probably, but I remember those riots. Now, I wasn't here, but I was in New York City, and uh, it was terrible. It was really terrible because people in their own communities were the ones who were suffering. It wasn't any guilty parties who were suffering. It, that was what the terrible tra- tragedy was of those um, misguided acts of violence. And and you've got some stuff that... I, I do ties her to a philosophy that I consider at that time to be quite destructive. speaking to what you just said. There is an a quote from an AJC article in 1992 that is talking about the aftermath of the riots. And it says three Atlanta University Center students, Atlanta University Center is Spelman, Morehouse and all those colleges in that same same area, all those black universities. It says three Atlanta University Center students, Stacey Abrams, Lawrence Jeffries and Kevin Donaldson, say their lives have been turned upside down since they helped lead AUC protest after the Rodney King verdict. They helped create the Student for African-American Empowerment, spelled with a K, African-American, a group of about 200 students from the six AUC schools formed after a protest by the students over the King verdict turned violent. So she was Say that last part again after wait the last after a sentence. protest by the students over the King verdict turned violent. Hold on. What's the, the phrase before that? They helped create yeah. the Students for African American Empowerment, a group S A A E. Yes. Yeah, and it's spelled African American with two K's. Yes, instead of C's. Got it. A group of about 200 students from from the six AUC schools formed after a protest by the students over the King verdict turned violent. Now, Abrams claims that she led a peaceful protest while the chaos was going on. But even if a protest that you lead starts peacefully, you have no control over a herd with herd mentality. And based on all the reporting on this in 1992, she truly did lead a protest it's hard to believe that that protest wasn't involved in the cars getting set on fire, on stores being rampaged, on the chaos that went on. Yeah, and private property being trampled. But you know what? I would even peel that onion a little bit more and say the Rodney King thing uh, was, I believe the focus was wrong. Rodney King was a troubled guy. He... He he was trying. He was running from the police because he didn't want to get stopped with uh, drugs or alcohol in his system because he was on probation or something, parole maybe from uh, some kind of theft conviction, I believe, if I recall correctly. And when they stopped him, they were mad at him. He was trying to kind of get away, and they 
absolutely, as my father would say, beat his crawler off. They absolutely. And what would have been good is to look at that and say, this is how we what we allow our cops to do. This is how they react. Is this right or wrong? But by turning it to race, which is exactly what happened when the militarization of the police became a a nationwide rallying cry, Eric Holder directed it towards Trayvon Martin and Zimmerman and made it a race thing. And or maybe it was the black versus blue thing that came out of Ferguson. But it was that was all diversion from a real question that we can all get behind. Is this how we want our relationship with the cops to be? When you put race into it, it gets the people fighting and you're not going to get a resolution it actually makes the cops stronger and uh, and minorities more oppressed. And I think her issue with the Georgia flag speaks to that kind of uh, cross purposes. Let's get to that after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. And now for something completely different. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I'm your libertarian voice on WSB. We were just talking about uh, Stacey Abrams leading protests during uh, after the Rodney King verdict. I personally think that uh, it's very, very important to hold police accountable. Uh, power corrupts. We must, as a favor to them, lead us not into temptation. We must have transparency, clear laws, and total accountability. So... When people divert opportunities to address this stuff, like after the Rodney King beating, and make it a um, divide the population over it, have people, those Rodney King riots were uh, hurt citizens. They, they had nothing, especially in Atlanta, they had absolutely nothing to do with the L.A. police force. It was counterproductive. And Binkley, uh, so you had something to say about that, and then and then... Abrams also had something was active in trying to get the Georgia flag changed. And I think that also was perceived as counterproductive. Tell me about that. Yeah, at that point in time, Atlanta had its first black mayor. There was a black police chief. There was a Democrat governor in office. There was a lot of progress and there was already a lot of talk about changing the flag because it had um, a Confederate logo on it. And the riots really brought division back to the table and you know essentially gave these students some power in the activism community and the process but these riots didn't help anybody the right. people and in the communities even though they acted like they were the students were taught the students acted like they were speaking for the people in the communities the people in the communities were mad at those students because they destroyed their property oh yeah i read some of those articles you sent me and i remember that from la too i mean they were the riots were directed at the poor neighborhoods. It was not cool. We we are not going to have time to play the clip I wanted you to play of um, describing how how Stacy approached the the other issue, which was uh, shortly thereafter of changing yeah. the flag. Let's that clip really speaks for itself. Um, let's get into it after the break. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK, or you can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. 
This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Saturdays from 3 to 6 is my normal schedule, but UGA Sports a lot of times moves me around. So if you can't find me on the air uh, on Saturday afternoons, then you can go to iTunes and find our Propaganda Report podcast, which includes what I do with my producer, Binkley, who's right here helping me on this show. And also we do podcasts together. And he also posts this show commercial free on there. And um, we are ha- uh, I rarely have guests, as you know. And every time I have one, I tell you that I try to make an exception for local libertarians and uh, also my favorite local libertarian activist. So at 5 o'clock, we're going to have Ted Metz, who is the uh, the third party on the can- uh, on the ballot. He's running for Georgia governor, and uh, and I'm, oh, he's open to questions. You can tweet at us, at Monica Perez Show. He's going to tell you what he stands for and why he thinks you should vote for him. And Garland Favorito is uh, an election integrity activist here in Georgia, but he really knows pretty much everything you need to know about the ballot and so much more. So he's going to be on at 530. But right now, there is so much to pack in as Binkley has really done his homework on uh, Stacey Abrams. And we've done shows on Abrams before, on Brian Kemp before. All that can be found on iTunes, Propaganda Report, um, or tweeted us if you want help finding it at Freedom Act Radio is his Twitter and mine is at Monica Perez show. But where we left it before the break was uh, talking about Stacey Abrams radical backstory that she does not talk about. No, she certainly does not. It's possible that she would benefit from it because she does. You know, there is a polarization um, on left and right that's happening right now. Radical is not as uh, is not a dirty word anymore. It seems like to me, but yet she does she doesn't bring it up. I uh, I don't know why. But let's first lay this out and then kind of talk about what it means. It's it, I don't think it means what it looks like it means on its face. I want to talk about what it means first. Let's lay it out. What do, how do you want to do it? Well, let's play clip one when she was on CNN with Jake Tapper recently to show yes. how she responded so. to. She was asked if she agrees with. Michelle Obama, and that when they go low, you go high, you take the high road, or if she agrees with Eric Holder, who said, when they go low, you kick them. That- so so this is her recently on national television kind of positioning herself, framing herself. Right? You know, this is her opportunity to paint who she is, and it was in response to the question, do you do what Michelle Obama recommends, go high when they go low, or Holder? go and kick them when they're when yeah. they're low when they're down let's hear what she has to say about herself now it's loading really really binkley this isn't a podcast man this is difficult and that's why if you look at my campaign i've hyperbole in elections can be very difficult and that's why if you look at my campaign i've run a very consistent campaign from beginning to end i didn't blow things up i didn't point weapons at people i didn't threaten to round people up in my truck okay can i just say this is why i was like look my daughter stays what what sorry can i can i slip something in Binkley. yes that was an accident okay so this is what i thought was so goofy about the Brian Kemp's ads, it's like a setup to make, you know, I, I actually wonder he, one of the shows we did talked about 
the very, very sketchy behavior that Garland Favrito and others did um, try to get an investigation going on uh, uh, what happened after the 2016 election. The servers got hacked and there was no backup. So the FBI was looking into Georgia servers, Brian Kemp's the Secretary of State, and uh, when they gave the servers back, instead of backing them up, I believe he wiped them clean so you could not see if there what whether there was election integrity or not. That's bad. And uh, and we talked about some of the, so I wonder sometimes if if he might have been in trouble for that and maybe he's a lose on purpose candidate. I really don't know. I mean, I, I, I have no idea. I'm not making that accusation, but I always think. When someone comes off as a little crazy, like Jeb Bush made some crazy ads. These boots are made for walking. You remember that one against uh, Marco Rubio? Just weird stuff that made it look like he was trying to lose on purpose. I always wonder about that. I've been wrong about that in the past. So I'm not uh, falling on my sword for that. I only fall on my sword for the Bill of Rights. But this, uh, so I, so he does some goofy things. She's calling him out on it. She's saying, "Look, he's he's the nut job. I'm the stable one. I I'm the one you can count on. This guy is clearly uh, radical." She takes the high road, <laughs> is what it sounded like. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Thank you for closing that circle. So, but the next clip you have is also recent, right? This one is from, I believe, the end of last year. Okay, and it's her mother who's a preacher. It's her mother preaching a sermon. What are her credentials, the mother? Her mom has uh, two graduate degrees, one in library science and one in seminary from Emory, and I can't remember what her undergrad degree is. Emory, that's good stuff. So let's hear what she has to say about her daughter, right? Yes, this is a very revealing clip. My daughter, Stacy Abrams, and Stacy went to school here in Gulfport until we left going to seminary. And she is. She was. She stepped. Just stepped down from being the the, the House of Representatives' top Democrat, the minority leader in Georgia, and now she's a candidate for governor of Georgia. And 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 you 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 might have seen her, but on TV, and and she's she's she gets in trouble too, just like Sonya does. She she's trying to get them to to take down. Those statues of Stone Mountain, those those racist things, and, and and the flag. But then when she was at Spelman College, she went on the steps of the Capitol and burned the Georgia flag. I don't know if they know about that or not. They do now. They do now. <laughs> Very good, Binkley. They do now. Thank you, Binkley. And you didn't like stumble upon that in the AJC or something, right? Where no, I found you... it on some obscure website. But how? This is what I find interesting. That why well, I know that you're the only one who has it. I can't reveal my secrets. Oh, oh, okay. Sorry, but it wasn't like you heard somebody talking. No, about it. no, I was searching. It. I was yeah, looking yeah, yeah. for stuff because yeah. I had a I had a feeling that her you were mom's, scouring. Yeah, her all, mom's sermons were probably a little more radical than all potentially relevant audio. You were scouring. So, so, so here's the thing. So it sounds like she is an extreme radical, burning the flag, the Georgia flag. So the candidate for governor of Georgia is burning the Georgia flag on the steps of the Capitol when she's in college. Yeah, and nobody's talked about that, which is really curious. But this is the one who led the only peaceful protest during – while the whole world was rioting around her in the actual neighborhood. Yeah. She was leading these under the peaceful thing for Rodney King. 
Yeah, she was leading what she says was a peaceful thing, although you read all the articles, the protests coming from the schools ended up breaking out into violence. That doesn't mean that she did it, but she for her to have led a peaceful protest through all the chaos, she would have been able to do something that neither the the governor, the mayor, or the police captain was able to do. And they were black, so they might have been able to, right, right wouldn't they? Because this was a racial issue. Yes. So it's not yeah. like she came and saved the day as this powerful black woman. It's that even uh, uh, other community leaders, everybody – were powerless to stop the violence. Well, what she did is she led one of these. She ended up being basically the face of representing the students, just like her and those two other kids. Yeah, I want to get to where this led, though, because I. it sounds like she's just radical. But I think when she went to – she was selected for, for – it's such an elite program, I never even heard of it, this Telluride thing, until I was investigating her and I talked about it on a previous show. So she went to this Telluride program in high school, and I think they really taught her how to plan her career, which she talks about. Since she was 19, she, is, she has plotted the path that she is still walking on 25 years later. And I think this was also kind of calculated and led to – personal gain for her the telluride program has a 4.7 percent acceptance rate and that's of the people who apply to it yeah i never even heard of it you know what i mean yeah and it is known to give a bigger advantage than any other program in the country if you have this on your resume according to college what is it? it's a website that uh, evaluates other college um yeah i don't know i can't remember what it is that's but they say that if you have that on your resume you get it anywhere and abrams actually turned down a scholarship from Harvard and Yale going into and choosing to go to Spelman instead. How many people in those communities, (laughs) she says that she's just like, are able to say, I turned down scholarships to both Yale and Harvard? There are two clips I want you to play when before, you know, in the next couple of segments. One is the one where she says there was no difference between us girls and Spelman and the girls and the projects across the street from Spelman, which (laughs) <laughs> is definitely not true. And then the other one where she talks about how empowering it was for her to get this tremendously powerful appointment at the age of 19 yeah. in the mayor's office in Atlanta, which if you go back, which you did to the contemporary articles at the time, I didn't she say something to the effect of, you don't want to risk another riot, so yes. So do what I want. Yes, and she was using that organization that she started with those other students as a weapon. S-A-A-E. Yes, the S-A-A-E. She was using that as a weapon, and by mobilizing this group of people, very Vladimir Lenin, Saul Alinsky style, she got a lot of advantages that other students did not because she was the face of it. She got a Ford Foundation thing. She ended up working on a campaign. Like you said, she worked – for the the governor shortly thereafter, who the students at that time saw the governor as the enemy, and she went and worked for him. We got to take a break. <laughs> Calm down. I got them all riled up. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to unfold this stuff in her own words, if I understand correctly. So stay tuned. More to come. At, uh, this is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. It's like everything I've been brought up to believe is all made of bull****. On News 95.5 and AM 750, WSB. That has to be my favorite clip. Um, So, Binkley, we have like three minutes. This is my producer, Binkley. Yes. 
This is Monica. We have three minutes. Do you want to replay that shocking clip by uh, Stacey Abrams' mother as a as an entree into the long segment where we can play uh, the two other clips that I think Let's really, do it. Let's play it again. Yeah, bring it, close the circle. So let's play this again, and um, and then at the bottom of the hour, we'll, we'll uh, dig one, we'll peel the the onion one more layer go my daughter stacy abrams and stacy went to went to school here in guffport until we left going to seminary and she is she was she stepped just stepped down from being the 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 house of representatives top democrat the minority leader in georgia and now she's a candidate for governor of georgia And 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 you 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 might have seen her, but on TV, and and she's she's she gets in trouble too, just like Sonya does. She she's trying to get them to to take down those statues of Stone Mountain, those those racist things, and and, and the flag. But then when she was at Spelman College, she went on the steps of the Capitol and burned the Georgia flag. I don't know if they know about that or not. As Binkley said, they do now. Do we know who Sonya is? I do. I have to look it up. It's somebody who is also, I believe, uh, a minority leader in another state. Well, here's – because I'm looking at Stacey Abrams' sisters. I thought maybe it was one of her sisters. Leslie, Janine, and Andrea? Yes, that's correct. And, uh, I mean – these people have are, are their resumes are amazing, and I'm sure if you dig deeper, you see just what you see with Stacy, just a whole litany of um, her own personal march through the institutions. Leslie is the first African American female federal judge in Georgia. She was Obama appointed. She went to Brown and Yale Law School, which is so hard to get into. Mm-hmm. Janine is an evolutionary biologist at the CDC. She went to Duke. She's a PhD, etc. And um, Andrea is a professor of cultural anthropology, and uh, her her resume is very deep, too. Taught at Emory, Ph.D. from Emory. So there was a clip we probably won't get to that says about her uh, experience with poverty is what shaped her <laughs> worldview. It's hard to believe. It is. <laughs> so anyway, let's uh, let's dig into a little bit more of her worldview after the break. Uh, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. You can tweet at Binkley, at Freedom Act Radio. Monica Perez. Maybe it's something really cool that I don't even know about, you know. On News 95.5 at AM 750, WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB. Uh, Saturdays from 3 to 6 when UGA Sports does not move me around. You can listen to my podcasts on iTunes under Propaganda Report or Monica Perez Show. And uh, we are, we've got some explosive stuff about Stacey Abrams that has just come to light. We've been talking about that, but I want to take a couple of calls first. I am going to uh, Ed and Gwinnett. Hi, Ed. Uh, can you hear me? You're on with Monica. Okay, let me get this straight. You guys are criticizing Stacey Abrams for burning a racist flag and for trying to um, wipe out um, racist monuments off Stone Mountain? No. But you're not saying anything about Kemp and uh, his his record trying to prevent pe- people from voting? No, I'm not, criticizing, I'm not criticizing her for— uh, That's what it seems like to me. Yeah, I'm not. No, I'm criticizing her for her 
cynical exploitation of people and their emotions to gain power over a very long period plan. Now, for Kemp, I think that the voter suppression thing is the least of the things he did. I did two shows, one during the primary and one before the runoff, talking about how I think what Kemp did during his stint as Secretary of State, which he's still, uh, during the election, was uh, rose to the level of criminality. And I can tell you how to listen to that. Binkley, what, where, what episodes are those? I just tweeted it out, episode 98, and I'm still looking for the other one. All right, so I, it was in May and July. The second I mean, half I, of that episode. This is truly a battle between uh, two evils, in my opinion, and I, I'm not sure which is lesser, but this stuff with Stacey Abrams is deeper, and it goes back further, and there's more to it, and this new stuff has come to light. With Kemp, he seems just run-of-the-mill. We've seen what he's what he's done. I had on my show, and he's going to be on today, I have on my show the guy who uh, tried to get him investigated for that. Garland's going to be on at 530, and he takes your side on the voter what, registration. What I'm, asking you, what I'm asking you is burning a racist flag. Do you find that offensive? Do you no, I'm not offended by flag, people burning flag flags. Offensive. I do not find burning flags offensive. I think flags are a symbol of state power, and I don't prefer it. But I, I'm just saying that why doesn't she talk about that, and what did it mean? Was she doing it out of sincere and actually was counter to the cause? I have to – I do uh, – Binkley, what do you have to say? At that time, there was a lot of the, – the, the governor, the mayor – they were working with civil rights groups to get that done, to get the flag changed, and the governor caught wind that they were going to do a demonstration and burn the flag, and he urged them not to because he felt it was going to hurt their progress. And they did change the flag. It got done. Well, apparently it worked. Apparently it worked. We don't have well, the racist flag in Georgia her, anymore. I don't, think her, I don't think her efforts worked. I think that it was already working, right? Their efforts were viewed as a stunt by most people, and that's why people were urging them not to, because they were trying to continue making progress instead of being divisive about it. I, I have to cycle through this real quick because I've got a guest on at 5, and we have a couple more clips to play, and I've got a couple more calls. So I'm going to Sheila in Atlanta. What do you got? Yes, hi, Monica. Listen, okay, I have a couple things to say to you. First of all, as an African-American female, I take offense to you saying that these people, we take that as being inhumane, okay? I, I don't refer to people as a collective you said, you, in you race. Said these people, you I said was probably people. talking about her and the two people she was working with. Oh, I thought you were talking about it as a group of uh, as, as a group of people. No. And, sec- and second of all, okay, so let's just say she did go to predominantly great good schools that you know, quote good schools or she had a, a better life than people in the projects or whatever. Does that make her less qualified? I mean, so she's trying to fight for equality. No, I'm justice. saying. Wait, let me finish. Let me finish. Oh, God, God. Is, she, is she trying to fight? Is her fighting for equality, justice for all people who are less fortunate? So who cares what school? I don't think that's what she's doing. I don't think that's what she's doing. You don't think that she's fighting for everyone and equality? No, I don't think and, she's fighting, fighting for anyone. I think that she's on. She's on a political path, and she's doing. This oh, so stuff. you think she just want to add this to her resume? That's what you think? I think she's a politician, and I think she does what politicians do, well, and I think are, that's what she's doing. They're all politicians. They're all politicians. I know. That's why I don't and like let, them. And let, me say this, and let me say this. And then you talked about the Rodney, um, the Rodney King, you know, the, the riots after that and everything. Well, you know what? you got a president on here, you know, talking about mocking people and everything. I mean, what makes – really? And I really I, like with know. the Rodney King thing – 
I think that with that and with the militarization of the police and all this stuff is that we would get a lot more done to restrain abuse of power if we if we got together and we saw that we are all in danger. They have the power and we can join together and get it done. Instead, we spend our time got, having conflict with each other and it distracts us. And that just well, increases Monica, the I, power I totally at the time. With you. I totally agree with you on that. We do want to all come together because we live together. We work together. We eat in the restaurants together. Now and we're we subject the to the same. same... Now we're using the same bathroom. But you got a administration who's totally dividing this country has added more chaos and division. But that I've has nothing to do with my... this. I That's not my administration. I'm a libertarian. I have nothing to do with that. All I say is that we need to pay attention to who really has the power and who is going to be a victim of that power. And it's all of us. And it's and I think it's politically cynical to divide us because that increases the power at the top and we all suffer for it. And And do you honestly think that Stacey is dividing, is trying to divide this this country and this state? Do you honestly think that? Yes, and I think and I and, I think you're wrong if you think that. I okay, let me that. let me play some clips. Let me play some Did clips. You know? Binkley, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to hang up here. Uh, Binkley, I do want to play some clips. Maybe we should play the clip of her mother. You know, I, I'm not trying to fuel the fire. I really, I actually do not like to take the bait of this kind of thing because I'm not talking about yeah, that. Yeah, it's I, about this, power. Is what it's yeah. about power, and and I and what I'm trying to bring out here is that what Sheila said. She is what what Stacey and and a lot of uh, the people going for power now want you to believe. But it's not it's not she is uh, uh, in that upper echelon of the powerful. She isn't. And she always has been or as, as you know, since high school. And that's what she's that's who she's working for. She's a member of the Council of Foreign Relations. She's she's been through all these foundations. She's had. She is part of that community, and I think that she will serve it with the more power she has. Go ahead. I agree. When we studied these Saul Alinsky, these uh, kind of radical tactics, Saul Alinsky is a community organizer like Barack Obama was, and uh, she's display, putting them on display. Can I give an example that uh, I think can help? Um, I think it helped the commentary. She, in 2005, Stacey Abrams um, – drafted an anti-panhandling bill that homeless advocates uh, decried as being anti-black and as criminalizing poverty. Yet today she's running on part of her platform saying she's going to decriminalize poverty when she did the opposite in a bill she drafted 13 years ago. Yeah, and my point is that these things are politically expedient. Yeah. That's what politicians do. And and so when you think that what you're doing, and we fall for this over and over and over again, including with Trump, you fall for it. You fall for, I'm for you. Let me tell you why. I'm the most outsider you could ever imagine because I curse. Or, yeah. you know, I, I mean, it's just everybody's always – Trump is an insider. Obama was an insider. Stacey Abrams is an insider. They are not – they're not representatives of us who have sacrificed everything to help us. And that that's and they can be counted on even uh, in the face of the temptations of power. They pursue power. They're about power. And they're saying things that make you react that way because you are going to give them power. And one of the main criticisms that Democrats had of her and a reason a lot of them didn't support her and support of Stacey Evans is because they believe that she was too focused on her own career path to the presidency. 
Wow. Well, she did have that Freudian slip where she said, my road to the White House. And she said, oops, governor's mansion. Don't right. want to get out of myself. Yeah, yeah. And so, if she, look, yeah. I'm not trying to make fun of her. I'm, I really am not. And I don't like it that I'm the one who has to bring all this stuff out. But it's not anywhere, right? So we could bring everything out about everyone. That is the purpose of the free press. And you're not hearing it. That's what is making me so mad about the Jamal Khashoggi case. That guy's family... What is so deep state? Adnan Khashoggi was the arms dealer in the Iran Contra scandal. Why is nobody talking about that? His cousin was Dodi Fayyad at the highest levels of power in the world. Why does your free press not talk about that stuff? They barely say the guy's name now in case somebody figures it out. I'm just saying that this, I don't like it that we are the ones who are responsible for bringing all this stuff out because sometimes it swings left, sometimes it swings right. When we came out against Kemp in the primaries and even in the runoff, we got calls immediately. You're just doing this to scuttle him. No, we're doing it because that's information that just was not getting the press. I had other conservative yeah. uh, members of the media criticizing me for uh, for bringing this stuff out. I mean, I just, I, you know, I don't. I, you can't. You can't win for but losing. Racial division has been a social oh, issue that so. has been used for since the rise of civilization to divide and conquer. See, here's the thing. When you played those clips for me of Kanye and everybody on the left was saying he's nuts, he should he should lose his job, he should be committed, people should do an intervention. When you actually listen to what he said, it was not, not the rhetoric of divisiveness. And you look at some uh, people who get and I feel like that Trump, you know, if you really wanted to get cynical and think that it's all a scam, Trump might have brought him into the fold uh, to taint him. Because what did they do with Bill Cosby? He's not in jail for what they accuse him of, even if he committed that. He's in jail for what he said, for his politics. Tupac, you know, some people think he was murdered because he was trying to change the gang culture. Malcolm X, when he had enlightenment, uh, two members of Farrakhan's organization were convicted for his killing. You know, I mean, you have to think about uh, uh, where people are really coming from what their real purposes are and as you know if your if your press is really telling you everything so i'm just trying i'm all, i i brought out everything i knew about kemp you know and uh and abrams i'll keep doing it but you know it's a burden i don't like it because i'm not a democrat or a republican and yeah. it's not like everyone's like well she's not a democrat let's give her a pass it's like no then you get both sides <laughs> piling on <laughs> Anyway, so, well, we'll have to play. What Do you want to pick a clip? Do you want to pick the one of those clips? Do you want to take a break and regroup? We got a little derailed there. We had a long segment that we were going to bring out a couple more things, but I don't want to rush it. So let's take a quick break, if it's not too early. And um, when we come back, we will give you a little more, or maybe wrap it up, and then at 5 o'clock, we have all positivity. So this has been some negativity, obviously. You know, that's what uh, digging deep into this stuff is always going to bring out when you're talking about a race of the lesser of two evils. But at five, the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to have the libertarian candidate for governor, Ted Metz. And then at 5.30, we're going to have our favorite election integrity activist, Garland Favorito, on. So let's take a quick break and, uh, and wrap up this portion of the show after the break. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. This will not stand, you know. This aggression will not stand, man. On News 95.5 and AM 750, WSB. 
wrapping it up before we talk to libertarian gubernatorial candidate Ted Metz at the top of the hour. Just had a a very lively discussion with some callers who were a little taken aback by how hard we were hitting Stacey Abrams. But this stuff is new and nobody's talking about it. And, and the burden is on our shoulders. I did not mean um, to cut anybody short, but we did. But one of the arguments that Sheila made is that Stacey's working for the people. And I, and my argument, my gut instinct, my conclusion is that she's working for herself and she always has been. She got accepted to an incredibly elite program as a high school student. And I think they really taught those, uh, the, their, um, the people who were in those programs how to, how to path, set the path of their lives and achieve those goals. And I think so she was prepared as since a teenager. And that's when she was doing this stuff with uh, the Rodney King riots and burning the flag on the Capitol steps. And she benefited from that immediately, immediately. So Binkley, tell us how, or did you have a clip for it? I, I, I know you have a clip for it, but what do you got? She got a job shortly thereafter in the mayor's office. She got uh, some sort of Ford Foundation grant where she ended up touring the country over the summer. And, I mean, on top of that, she also ended up working for a campaign. I can't remember whose campaign it was. It was a, it was a Democrat in, I think, the 11th district. Um, but while she was touring the country, these people in the community who she claimed to be standing for – during these protests are still complaining about the students who trashed their yards, who intimidated their store owners, who looted their stores. And these people in this group, um, and I, whoever was in this group, they were saying that they represent these community members. The community members are telling an entirely different story. They're intimidated and afraid. Do we have – how long is clip eight? I don't think it's very long. All right, let's play clip eight about how this is the job she got immediately after she led those protests. And and there was an article from back then saying, if you don't want more protests, let's hear clip eight. Creating commissions where people are imbued with power. I mean, one of the reasons my experience at 19 led me to this opportunity is that someone hired me at the age of 19 to run a major program for the city of Atlanta. Having the ability to think through policy, to engage, to have the power of the city behind me when I would call someone and say, I need you to come to this meeting, and they hear my younger, although my voice is always sounded kind of old, but <laughs> if they would hear me, they showed up because I was able to say, I'm calling on behalf of the city of Atlanta. So that was the position she got in the immediate aftermath of those uh of her agitation. I absolutely have to cut for this break and stay tuned because we're going to get nothing but positivity in the next hour with our guest Ted Metz and then Garland Favorito. This is Monica Perez. Please take my hand. Now open your mind to me. Please open your mind. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB, Saturdays from 3 to 6 when I can get it. Today is one of those days, the only day 
uh, during football season that I have a full show, and I could not possibly let this opportunity go by during this important election season without having as my guest the uh, libertarian candidate for Georgia governor, a guy who I've known for years ever since Ron Paul campaigning days, uh, the libertarian candidate Ted Metz. Ted, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking, and thank you for having me on the show. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it, and I want you to make the absolute most of your time. So uh, let's hit the ground running. I want to know, I think the best way to start for people who um, maybe don't know, tell, give us the kind of basic libertarian position, specifically your basic position either as your general philosophy or specifically as the gubernatorial candidate. Well, I will, I will just broadly address what, it, what it's all about to be a libertarian. And the easiest way to explain it is the same thing that you learned in kindergarten is leave me alone, don't tell me what to do, and don't steal my stuff. And beyond that, we believe firmly that everything about life in general, whether it's either the government or your personal interactions, everything should be voluntary and consensual. Yes, I, I have to say, Murray Rothbard, I liked his, like, the only law is don't touch me or my stuff. And Harry Brown, defi he said, don't ever define libertarians in the terms that uh, conservatives or liberals use. We are not liberal, social liberals and fiscal conservatives. We believe in individual liberty and personal responsibility on all issues at all times. Can you, uh, do you think those are fair statements? That's absolutely correct. Okay, great. And, and yes, those are not only fair, but they're also accurate statements. Yes, I totally agree. Yes. So, okay. So what and how would you uh, kind of bring that to the governor's race in, um, you know, in your campaigning? And if you were to <laughs> well, that's a hard question to answer in, in, in less than like three hours. So let me start with saying basically the reason I'm running is to end corruption to help government you know, to help the people hold government accountable and to lower taxes. Now, getting back to the voluntary consensual thing, a lot of things that government does are not voluntary and are not consensual. You know, government has run amok lately of, with, with, you know, it's rife with corruption, and the corruption costs our tax dollars to be spent by somebody else. Uh, I, I think Truman said it best that nobody gets rich in politics without being a crook. Yes, I think that um... – that your point about ending corruption is very interesting, and it's absolutely it's it's the right answer, because if you look at the Constitution, it seems to me that if you if you actually stuck to it and there were no corruption and the elected officials actually defended the Constitution as they're supposed to, we would live in a libertarian society. That's what it was founded on. So that's all it takes. You don't have to pass new laws. You just have to. Uh, uh, you just have to enforce the ones that are already on the books. Yes, and pair back um, such as you know, yeah. such as uh, as the constitutional restriction on passing uh, grants of special privilege, and we see that all the time. And that's how politicians' friends and the politicians themselves, you know, enrich themselves at the taxpayer teat. Can you explain that? Uh, expound on that. Uh, grant of special privilege, and in, in particular, is, is some sort of a legislation they pass to give someone favorable treatment over someone else. Either yes. in tax relief or special privileges, or yes. you know, like like a like a slide on an EPA regulation or something like that. It's quite often used in the context of taxes, and the way I look at it is, 
they put this huge blanket over everybody, completely stifling, restrictive blanket, and they cut air holes out for the people they like. And it's kind of like Uber. If there weren't so many laws against taxi freedom, there never would have been an opportunity for Uber to kind of blanket the earth. They used those little holes in the fabric of politics because they happen to be more powerful to take over a niche that was created by the restrictions that these um, privileges, you know, that the, that the government uses. Right. And, and it, expands, it expands beyond taxation. It's also in regulations and regulatory and, and compliance issues as well. Which is why the progressive era was started by the robber barons and not the other way around. If you and, and, you know, and yet it continues. And, yes. and that's really, I think, where the left has, has picked up on, on the way things work. And they've picked up the progressivism in getting government uh, in a position to enrich themselves and their friends. Yes. And, and one thing that I do I think is absolutely crazy is that with all the mania against Trump on the national level, people don't turn to the Tenth Amendment and see the wisdom of it, that if we return uh, the power to the state, then you would have power at the state level and we could really make a difference. But I would I also want to point out one thing is that this idea of voting for the lesser of two evils. I got a tweet earlier, which was interesting and thought provoking, saying, well, if if this person didn't agree with you on everything, then again, it's a choice among evils. And I would say uh, it's not. The corruption is the evil, the bastardization, the exploitation of the laws. Those are evil practices practiced by most, I would say, most of the elected officials in the major parties that that it's actually, even if it's not perfect and everybody's interests aren't 100% aligned, uh, eliminating the corruption, being honest, and following your principles is not evil, even if people don't agree with all the positions that you come out on. Well, and again, if you hold it down to the most basic concept of, of, of things that are consensual and voluntary, then, then you've eliminated a lot of the uh, opportunities for corruption. Right, all of them. I mean, right? You can't. It's coercion, fraud, theft that leads to all that. So, what do you say to people who? Uh, I got a I got a tweet from um, someone also named Monica saying, "The libertarians, uh, it's exactly the libertarian vote will dilute the Republican vote. Please don't do it." This is what she said. She's a follower, <laughs> right? What do you think of that? I was I was I was giving a presentation at, at some town hall meeting and basically i said it seems to me that the math adds up that a libertarian vote counts for three votes because it's a vote for the libertarian it's a vote for the other parties you know it's a vote for democrats a vote for republican the thing is i'm i'm actually 40 percent of voters nationwide and are identify themselves as independents around 30 percent of of people identify as democrats or or republicans that means the majority of voters are really disenfranchised because they don't have a third voice in, in government, a voice of reason, a voice so, of logic, a voice of like economic prosperity. We have just two parties basically that rule and control the whole thing. The problem with government is it's only made up of Republicans and Democrats. And when it comes down to it, every vote that raises our taxes, increases government, increases the size and scope of government as well as regulations, it's always voted on by Republicans and Democrats because that's all that's in government. So if we want to do something different, we have to get a different voice into government. That's very you know, interesting, though, that, that math that you use, because you could, by that argument, uh, you could get the most votes if you if you 
reinvigorated the people who have given up on voting, you could get more votes than any Democrat or Republican without stealing a single one of their votes. Oh, right? and they know that very well. That's why you've not seen me in any of the media. You haven't seen me on TV. You haven't seen me in the newspapers or, or, or very, very few and far between articles uh, that there is actually a third gubernatorial candidate. Are and, you going to be in the debate? Because they don't want to upset their gravy train of the same old system where every, you know, the same two groups of people are in power. And if you look at it, the corporations behind government essentially give equally to both parties because they always have a winner in the race. Well, uh, that point is well made when you think of how well uh, Ron Paul did in the Iowa caucus that year and was completely buried by the media. And then you look at somebody like Trump, who supposedly spent nothing on his campaign. And because of all the media coverage, he he catapulted to the prominent position and Whatever. I don't want to derail us on our, on our precious time. Are you not um, in the you are in the upcoming debates? Are you not? I will be on Tuesday night with the GBTV Laudermilk Young series. And then again, I will be on on November the 4th right here on WSB TV radio. So uh, I, I'm going to keep you on through the break to the next segment. But why don't could you tell people now they maybe write it down and then we'll tell them again when the after the break, how people can learn more about you and double check on those dates and just kind of keep up with you. Do you is it Facebook, Twitter, your uh, website? It's so, it's so simple. It's T-E-D-M-E-T-Z. You can put that in Google. It's TedMets.com. I'm Ted Metz on Facebook and almost all the social media. I'm easy to find. That's fantastic. So let's take a quick break, and then uh, we're going to get back to you can pick your favorite issue or you can tell people what uh, what you think is the most important issue locally. Whatever you want to do with those last couple of minutes, we're going to open it up. Uh, maybe we'll open it up to a call, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK, or folks can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Be right back with more Ted Metz. Monica Perez. You maniac! You blew it up! On News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. We are back. I want to waste no time talking to the libertarian candidate for governor, Ted Metz. Ted, you with me still? I, I am with you, and I want to just jump right in here with my call out to Governor Deal to issue an immediate executive order to enable farmers to plant industrial hemp in the wake of the devastation of Hurricane Michael. We need to do this immediately because to preserve the soil, to save, to save the soil, and maybe even give the farmers a cash crop at the end of the year. You know, and I've already yeah. talked to my friends in Kentucky. They, they're sitting on tons of seeds. They're willing to work with us. And, and what do with they do with it? agriculture being sunny Purdue, it could be done in no time. And what do they do with it once it's harvested? Uh, well, right here in Georgia, you know, the carpet, we have the, you know, the world's leading carpet industry. Uh, they they use it for carpet bagging. It's called jute, and right now we have to import jute it from is China and, and Canada. I did not so know there, that. There's a fix. I did not know that. You know, uh, the whole thing about our our, our agricultural agricultural economy is that we could make billions out of all of the different things that industrial hemp can do, from chemicals to cosmetics to fuel to fiber to, you know, just a, a myriad of things. And uh, that reminds me that I have. Um, let me. Let me give you a call if this guy can – oh, shoot. I just cut Ted off. Ted, you got to call back immediately. Um, dang, how did that happen? All right, let me get this call, and let's see if Ted can get back on the line in time. Um, Drake and Canton, what do you got? 
I had a question for, well, thank you for taking my call first off, but I wanted to ask uh, candidate Metz what his ideals are as far as it relates to the governor and immigration reform. Okay, I thought that that would be a good uh, question in the context of the agricultural stuff. So, Ted, are you there? Did I get you back, Ted? Sorry, Ted. Uh, So I just got that call from Drake. He wanted to know uh, about immigration reform, and I thought it was a good question in the context of uh, agriculture in Georgia. Do you can you give me like in you know one minute your views on immigration in the context of your run and the governorship? If you're white or if you're black in America, it's as a result of immigration. You know the Latinos were basically here before white men settled, so. I don't see what the big issue is other than it's creating a stir because of, of some reason that, you know, Republicans are afraid that immigrants are going to vote Democrat or something. And the Democrats are pushing the issue because they think that the immigrants are going to vote Democrat, but the immigrants are going to vote conservative. So uh, I don't see really, really what the big deal is. We need more people to feed the Ponzi scheme that is Social Security <laughs> and Medicare. So my, was, my attitude is let them come in, let them sign the guest registry, let's get their fingerprints, let's find out where they're going to be, and, and let them stay here as long as they're peaceful, voluntary, and, and, and consensual. Well, I would say that as a that you rec- you can recognize a human being's right to work and travel separate from a foreigner's right to vote in your country. I mean, that's a political thing, but to prevent right. somebody from you know, this person who owns a farm from giving a job to somebody who wants to work on that farm and even live on that farm. Uh, you know, they, all men are yeah. created equal. All men are created equal. You know, people need to think about that. All men are created equal. Doesn't yes, matter where you live or where you're from. It's these artificial barriers. If we had perfect private property rights, uh, national immigration policy wouldn't be important to us because we could control our own private property. So I think it's that issue gets um, – uh, libertarians can take different sides on how they want to adapt that issue to the uh, to the actual reality we live in. But we gotta we gotta break, Ted. So I'm gonna thank you so so much for coming on. I'm gonna say goodbye. Say goodbye. Bye, everyone. Thanks for <laughs> vote for me. It's gonna be a runoff anyway. Send send a message. Vote for uh, me. Good point. Vote for him. It's gonna be a runoff anyway. And go just Google Ted Metz, TedMetz.com. Find him on Twitter, Facebook, everything like that. We're gonna to talk to Garland after the break. Thanks a million, Ted. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Well, no one's gonna to top that. On News 955 at AM750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB, and I uh, just want to let you know that the uh, you should use the WSB radio app to register to win tickets to see the Beach Boys, led by Mike Love and Bruce Johnston, live at the Cobb Energy Center. It's a prize pack that includes two premium seats for the January 20th show and a $50 gift card to Davio's Northern Italian Steakhouse. Tickets for the Beach Boys are also on sale now at Ticketmaster.com, but you got to go to WSB radio app to register to win the tickets. I'm not giving away on the air, although I love to give stuff away on the air. That's it for today. And uh, But we are about to have the um, continue the exciting and lively show that we uh, that has marked today 
We just got off the phone with Ted Metz, the Libertarian candidate for governor. If you missed it, go. Uh, we will tweet out the podcast of that probably Tuesday or Wednesday. At Freedom Act Radio is my producer Binkley's uh, Twitter, and mine is at Monica Perez. Show. You should find it there. And right now we have my favorite local activist, Garland Favorito. Garland, uh, can you hear me? I can, Monica. Thank you so much for uh, having me back on the show. What a great show today. Yeah, I, li- I, you, lively. <laughs> I, I, I got I got two kudos. I know you want to talk about elections, but I got to give you two kudos first. And one is I wanted to thank you for showing us that there's an alternative in the governor's race, somebody who's free of ethics issues and uh, free of special interest, and people can actually vote for this and and stop all this. Uh, divisive politics between the the Democrats and the Republicans. So I I really appreciate the fact that you're willing to do this because both of these candidates are loaded up with uh, 10 or 12 different ethics issues that have been documented by not only our organization, but Georgia Ethics Watchdogs. So so thank you. That was my first thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And I'll tell you um, that you – you really gave me courage, too, because in the beginning, when you brought that stuff up about Kemp and the uh, that what he was up to in that 2016 election and it wasn't being investigated properly and it's not it never was really vetted well. And then all the stuff that Binkley brought about Stacey Abrams. But uh, but Stacey Abrams stuff to me is even scarier. So uh, it takes some courage to vote the third way. And when you, who's so immersed in the importance of elections, has the courage of your convictions, I, I have to say I sat up and took notice of that. And I yeah, I really appreciate that because, yeah, as you've already said, the lesser of two evils is still evils. And, and uh, Monica, the other thing I wanted to thank you for is you were the only uh, news media uh, outlet in Atlanta that covered the story of Brett Kavanaugh covering up the murder of Vince Foster, the chief White House counsel for Bill Clinton. And uh, I know you I saw that on your social media post. And all the senators on both sides of the aisle had all that evidence. Um, if y'all re- and people probably don't remember, but Vince Foster didn't have his fingerprints on the gun that was used to kill oh, him. And it was not, uh, his was not his gun and his car was not even the parking lot. Uh, when his body was originally found. So, Have you so, ever seen what Miguel Rodriguez, who Kavanaugh basically replaced, uh, what he wrote on his way yeah. out? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What and a smoking I'll link gun. That into my, I'll link Brett that Kavanaugh. into our, our press yeah. release on it, and that was completely covered up uh, by both sides. Republicans and Democrats had the evidence. All of that, the Miguel's... Um, Miguel's report went to every senator along with the witness statements of Patrick Knowlton that proved that Foster's car was not in the parking lot at the time of his death, um, where, he was, where his yeah. body was and found at Fort Marcy up in Virginia. Um, yeah. So so that was – and so we, we had to watch this spectacle of, <laughs> of, Irrelevant. of Democrats and Republicans pretending that they are opposite when they were really in cahoots about a murder of uh, the – 
it, probably the, the highest-ranking official since the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And that's how you see the the Democrat-Republican thing. When they talk about the lesser of two evils, it's evil. I mean, you know, and, and it's not getting us anywhere. Since we've, since we've really descended to this, it's always lesser of two evils. This con- country hasn't gotten better. The welfare, warfare, super state just gets bigger and bigger. It's not working. You know, you have to, I think, take a plunge. Yeah, Monica, and the, the problem is that people think when you hit one side, for example, like Stacy, you've been very consistent in hitting both sides. You've had me on. We've talked about, you know, we filed a criminal complaint against Brian Kemp. You've had me on the show two or three times and more than anyone else in, in the in Georgia. And um, so people only see one side. So if you happen to be doing a segment, you're attacking Stacey Abrams, they thank you for Brian Kemp and vice versa. If you're attacking Brian Kemp for, for good reasons of ethical violations, they thank you for Stacey Abrams. And they, unfortunately the voters can't see through this, this divisive politics scheme and understand that you're exposing corruptions on both sides of the aisle and you're the only one who does that. I appreciate that. And the thing is, this Abrams stuff that came out today, this is the first opportunity we've had to expose it, and nobody else has exposed it. But I wanted to ask you, which I have not dug into, Binkley has somewhat, what is what is your view on the Democrats' claim of Kemp mishandling these voter registrations, or what's what's your view of that issue? Yeah, so uh, great, great uh, point. So they, they, first of all, this it's they they call it voter suppression, and I think the the claim is is and for the most part very legitimate. It dates back to 2000 um, in Florida when Greg Palace did a story uh, on the uh, at that time the Secretary of State office purged what they, he believed to be about 69,000 voters using this exact match technique. So it actually dates all the way back to uh, 18 years to the 2000 election. It's the same technique, but they are using it now. Um, uh, they used it in Kansas. Chris Kobach, uh, as Secretary of State out there, um, we was using it uh, there. And now Brian Kemp uh, was using it here. Ironically, Donald Trump jumps into the Republican primaries and endorses both of these secretary of state candidates, which is almost unheard of for a president to involve themselves in a in a primary of their own party. You know, they usually can't they usually uh, campaign for for someone against the other party. Oh, yeah. So, so that was kind of bizarre. But, yeah, so I think that the claim is, for the most part, legitimate. A lot of folks don't know that the counties have had a great deal of backlog uh, of voter registrations themselves. So Fulton County, for example, had about a 20,000 voter ba- backlog in uh, back in the 6th District race, and they couldn't get all their voters registered. And now if they do, then they go through this exact matching uh, technique that uh, – Brian Kemp is using. Uh, there's been some uh, claims that he's having to do this because that's what the law says. But, but the law doesn't say that you have to do an exact match down to the you know period and the T. You're all supposed to uh, you know validate registrations, but but not oh, to the extent that they're doing it. So um, they haven't. We haven't 
heard of a lot of complaints, but uh, we have had some. I've heard some people who were not allowed to vote on Election Day. Oh, well, look, I have a question for you that uh, the audience needs to know. The most important thing, I think, is how do you you recommend securing your vote, protecting your vote? What's the best way to vote? Yeah, so the best way, Michael, we always recommend voting by mail-in ballot. And uh, I've already voted my mail-in. The the, the um, way to do that, we put the instructions up on VoterGA's website, on VoterGA.org, on the events page. And you, what it'll do is you if you go up there, it'll show you how you can download an application from the Secretary of State's office, and it'll give you the show you how to get the address of your county office. You mail that ballot in. I'm sorry, the application in, they will send you a ballot very quickly, usually within a, a, maybe a couple of days, and then you fill that out. You get to look at it for a while and think about it, um, and uh, like we had to uh, think about those constitutional amendments for a long time. And then you can send it back in uh, um, to the county. You can mail it in. You can take it to the county. Uh, up until even including on election day, but you cannot take it to the precinct. You have to either mail it or or take it to the county office. Okay, and there is time to do that if people act on that right now, right? That's we saw. Oh, absolutely! Okay. You've got plenty of time uh, to do that. So it's okay. just and all the instructions are up there. It's VoterGA.org/slash/events. Uh, That's our events tab. Okay, and then there's one more thing. I, I, we do not have time to cover all of the amendments, but you, it is on your website, and I did want you to tell people how to look at your analysis. And I, th- I believe there's only one of those uh, uh, between the referenda and the amendments. I think there's only one thing that you are now recommending a yes vote on. Isn't that correct? What is that? Yeah, right? that's exactly right. And for the reasons that Ted and you have discussed in the previous segment, all of the constitutional amendments, for the most part, are special interest. They're supporting some kind of a special interest that is not necessary to have a constitutional amendment. You, they already either already have a law for it or uh, they can make a law for it. So there's no reason to have a constitutional amendment because then if you change your mind down the road, it's harder, much harder to back that out. Um, because it takes a two-thirds majority of vote. So that's the principle why we're recommending no and have now decided to recommend no on all five of those amendments, um, as well as one of the referenda. It's all. It's just all about special interests. And what is the referenda referendum that you recommend a yes vote on? The one that uh, probably doesn't impact so many but we didn't think was so bad was the multi- district uh, amendment uh, for homestead exemption. So in other words, uh, if you're in, I'm sorry, multi-county. So if you're a city of Atlanta resident and you're actually, Atlanta spans two counties, uh, those those residents can't get a homestead exemption right now as we understand the law. And it, this, that, that referenda will, uh, referendum would allow them to do that. So that there 
to uh, it's in, that they would have the same thing that those in in Fulton and DeKalb counties have already. All right, so that's HB eight twenty is the only thing you vote you recommend a yes vote on. And if people want to see your analysis of all the other stuff, they can go to voterga.org. Is that the best place for people to find? I got one minute, so tell people how to get more from you, Garland. Uh, yes, voterga.org. Um, and I, you know what, I I've got to make sure that's posted, but we'll post that on the events. Uh, and I'll they make sure click it's posted through. before six o'clock. On VoterGA.org, it's easy to click through to your Facebook page, which I believe everything's on your Facebook page, right? Oh, that's right. Uh, it's also on Twitter. You're absolutely right. That's, that would, those would be the best way. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, Garland at VoterGA.org, uh, or voter, Garland at VoterGA, and then on Facebook, just VoterGA, all one word. You're right. All of that assistance is up there, and that we had we did change one uh, one of our, our amendments. So. All right, awesome. Boy, did we pack a lot in there. Thank you so much, Garland. Thank you so much. And uh, I guess I won't talk to you again until after the election, but um, as Ted Metz said, it's going to be a runoff anyway, so it's okay to vote Libertarian. Great. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much for having us, and thank you for being a, a shining light on, on, on all this corruption and, and you know, make, really, really making it equal. Equal on both sides. Right back to you, Garland. Okay, bye-bye. And I'll be back right after this to wrap it up uh, with um, some parting thoughts for for this election season. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Wow, that was intense. On News 95.5 and AM 750, WSB. This is Junior Brown. Listen to this lyric. Some odd years ago. Uh, it's taking too long. <laughs> Here it comes. I left home for the first time when I was four years old. I'm a reborn man. <laughs> I just love that. That reminded me of an Abrams thing. Didn't she say that her mother dropped out of school when she was eight? Eight years old. <laughs> and the neighbor said that she was hopeless and penniless, which is a weird way to describe an eight-year-old. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to laugh. I don't want to pile on. I... Um, do not relish my role as like a universal spoiler, but I am glad that we are wrapping this show up on a, on a high note with having had the libertarian uh, candidate for governor Garland, um, who I would think that Garland, who is just so enmeshed and immersed in, uh, voter integrity and fraud issues and corruption, he'd be terrified to get the wrong person as governor, that he'd be willing to do anything to prevent the the worser, worse evil from taking office. But he has the courage uh, not to vote the lesser of two evils. And it, it made me think he has more courage than I do. I mean, I, I always vote libertarian, but like, oh, this time it's like the worst. But um, is... That like if you think about Trump, Trump has the biggest budget. I believe he's he signed the biggest budget of any president ever. And he said, "Don't do it again. Don't send me another budget like this because I won't sign it," which is silly. And with with Obama, with lesser budgets, you had huge uh, approach. You, know, you know, like you had the Tea Party you had people really going bananas. And with Trump, like there's nothing. So you think you can play this game, you can game the evil versus evil and pick the lesser of two evils, but you really might not be able to play that game. So if there's going to be a runoff anyway, 
go into it with a clean conscience, maybe. But I don't really like to tell people how to vote. Just examine your conscience. Vote what you think is the right thing to do. That's what I do, and that is the one thing that we have, you know? If we really all examine our conscience and vote with integrity, maybe we'll have a better country. What do you think, Binkley? you got 15 seconds to put you I absolutely agree. <laughs> You're just saying that. No, I agree. Yeah, no, I know. You do, you do. Anyway, go to uh, iTunes or PropagandaReportDaily.com to find our podcast. The podcast of this show should be up in a couple of days. Thanks, everybody. And uh, go to at Monica Perez Show to see when I'm going to be on next. Later. See you later. <laughs>